Holy Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a God who is not silent, but you have spoken to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, and these scriptures that have been preserved for us. Give us ears to hear now what you want to say. For Christ's sake, for his glory alone, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. When uh, the pandemic started several years ago, uh, our family decided to grow a garden. And uh, one reason we decided to grow the garden was just to take our mind off what was happening. And then in the back of our mind, there was this idea that maybe the grocery stores would have supply issues. So it might be good to have some of our own food. But... uh, it didn't go very well because we didn't tend the garden very well, to be honest. We, we didn't do the weeding, uh, we didn't do the fertilizing that was required, and so uh, the garden did not produce hardly any fruit. There were a lot of weeds and things like that. And so um, after a while, it, the garden was kind of overgrown, and I gave up on the garden. And I took the weed trimmer and mowed it down. Because the point of a garden is to get fruit. If you go over to our house, you cannot see any sign that a garden was there. There's a, tram- there's a trampoline over where we planted the garden. In our gospel, Jesus often uses these images, these agricultural images, to speak about the kingdom of God. And, and he talks about how God is seeking fruit from those who are in his kingdom. And so in our parable this morning, this is another parable that Jesus told to those who were in Jerusalem, the religious leaders, they were in charge of the temple there. They were the spiritual authorities for Israel. And uh, Jesus in this parable tells not of a garden, but of a vineyard, uh, which was often used in the Old Testament to speak about Israel. The idea of Israel as a vineyard that God planted, and we saw that in our psalm reading. The owner of the vineyard expected fruit, uh, fruit from the vineyard that he had planted and he had cared for, and of course that was his right and his due. It was his vineyard. He planted it. He cared for it. He set it up. And so verse 34, when the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servant to the tenants to get His fruit. The reason you have a vineyard is to get fruit. The reason you have a garden is to get fruit. He sent his servants to get fruit from his garden. And he displayed, as we read this, we see he displayed great patience in getting this fruit. Extreme patience. Just um, planting a vineyard required patience because I read that it took about four years for a vineyard to become fruitful, to become profitable. So uh, he had to be patient after he planted, just waiting for the vineyard to produce. And then he was extraordinarily patient and lenient to collect the fruit. We read that he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruits. And the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another, and stoned another. Now, at that point, 
the owner of this vineyard, this master, he had every right to do away with those tenants, to destroy them, and to give the vineyard to another. He had every right at that point. And yet he showed, didn't he, incredible restraint, unbelievable mercy. So he sent other servants, and yet they treated these servants the same way. Now, the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to uh, would have understood what, what this is about here. They would have gotten the, the echoes here and the references here, the subtext. Jesus is talking about the prophets of the Old Testament. The prophets of the Old Testament who, who, who were servants of God, God sent to speak his word into his vineyard, Israel. Prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And if you remember from last week, they were already talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet that God sent. John the Baptist is kind of a bridge figure between the Old Testament and the New Testament, pointing the way to Christ. And so God had sent these prophets again and again to Israel and was, had just sent John the Baptist to them who was to prepare the way for Christ. Throughout the history of Israel, God sent his servants, the prophet, to wake them up for their need for God, to turn them from their God substitutes, to turn them from their idol worship, to turn them from their injustice, to remind them of their obligation to bear fruit for God, to obey his word, to be loyal to him. And so God sent the prophets because God was looking for this fruit of repentance. God was looking for them to take his word and his ways seriously. That was the fruit God was looking for. But the leaders of Israel so often rejected the prophets of God. We see that as we read the history of the Old Testament. Take, for example, Jeremiah, the great prophet who the, the king of uh, Jerusalem threw into, king of Judah threw into a muddy cistern and burned his scrolls. And uh, according to tradition, Isaiah, the great prophet, was martyred by being uh, sawn in two. And so they rejected so often the leaders did not want to hear, did not want to listen. Their hearts were not soft to receive these servants that God continually sent. Today, God doesn't send us prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist, but God does send us his word through his servants. God still is sending servants to proclaim his word. God sends pastors and teachers and parents and grandparents and Sunday school teachers, and God uses friends and family members to speak his word into our lives. And God uses circumstances of our lives to wake us up so that we will take Him seriously. And if we're going in a wrong direction, God uses circumstances to speak to us, to wake us up, to call Him back, to call us back to Him so that we would repent and we would turn away from these God substitutes that so often creep up in our lives. I was talking to a friend this week who said that some deaths in his family God was using some deaths that were happening in his family for the rest of the family members to begin to ask questions of him. 
about God and about what happens after this life. And, and some of them have begun searching the scriptures for the first time. God is patient to do that. God is so kind to do that. He's merciful. Again and again, he extends this mercy and this patience. And maybe some of us can see that happening in our lives, maybe even today. And maybe we can look back on our lives and we can see how God so often was patient and kind to send his word to us, to speak to us, to wake us up to him. So the king patiently sent these servants to the tenants, but to no avail. To no avail. And yet he did not give up on them, did he? He did not give up on the vineyard. He did not give up trying to get his fruit. And so in one last incredible effort, he decided this, to send his son. They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. This is the one who's going to get this vineyard. And we want the vineyard for ourselves. We want control of this property. We want the fruit for ourselves. This is the heir. Let's destroy him and get the inheritance. Well, that was a foolish thing to think. Obviously, because there no judge, no court in the land would ever award these murderers the vineyard of this master. But you see what's happened here is they have become irrational. Irrational in their hatred towards the master who had allowed them to produce fruit in this vineyard and to take a share for themselves. They had become irrational in the, in the hatred. And they, they, they become greedy and wanted to take control for themselves. And we remember that Jesus is telling this parable on Holy Week. This is Tuesday in Holy Week. In just a few days, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. And, of course, that is, was God's plan to save sinners. It was a divine plan, but these religious rulers were the human instruments to fulfill this plan. They were willing instruments. Even now, they're making plans to put Jesus on the cross because there's this hostility that they have, this resistance to what God is doing in Christ. It's a threat to them. They rejected God's servants, the prophets, and now they will reject God's Son. Now, it isn't as if Jesus just showed up on the scene. Let's remind ourselves. It's not as if Jesus, this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. And it's not as if Jesus just showed up in Jerusalem and said, hey, believe me, I'm the Messiah. There are people today, skeptics of Christianity, that say, you know, you, you believe, but you have no reasons to believe in Jesus as a son of God. Well, Jesus had given them reasons to believe the Master in the parable said, they will respect my son. God had been doing extraordinary things through Jesus so that they would respect him, so that they would believe, so that they could hear what he was saying. He performed these great miracles, right? Miraculous feedings, opening blind eyes, deaf ears, walking on water, and even raising the dead. And so there, there have been people before Jesus claiming that they were the Messiah. There have been people after Jesus claiming that they were Messiah. 
But here, God was working extraordinary things, demonstrating that it was through Jesus that the kingdom of God was coming. These signs, these miracles were like, like, a, like a package of, of signs that God was doing this restoring work of the kingdom, new creation, new life through Jesus. They were strong signs. They saw these things. They had evidence. They had reason. But they turned away. And the reason is because they also, even though they had evidence, they had a great deal to lose. They had a great deal to lose if they were going to receive Jesus. They were in positions of prominence and authority and control. And Jesus was a threat to that. They had their pride to lose. Here is Jesus the carpenter from Galilee telling these PhDs and experts in Jerusalem, you need to learn your wisdom from me. That my wisdom's from God. And so they had to drop that if they were going to follow Jesus. Their pride, that they knew everything. Here's Jesus telling these experts in religious ritual that ritual is not enough to be right before God. That yes, you have these rituals to keep your hands pure, but what God is looking for is a pure heart. And that you need, he was, he was saying, you need to repent because although you look good on the outside, in your heart there is, there, there, there's greed and there's anger and there's lust and there's hypocrisy. They would have to repent and humble themselves before God. These who were at the top of the religious pyramid. Jesus, just before this, had cleansed the temple because it had become a place of greed, a den of, uh, of thieves and robbers. Because he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all people, but you've made it into a den of thieves and robbers. You've made it into something to fulfill your greed and your materialism. So they would have to give that up. To follow Jesus, they would have to be willing even to leave behind family and friends and connections and even give up their own lives. So this was a lot that was on the line. Jesus was a great challenge to them, just like he challenges us. And our question today, my question to myself is when we stand before God the judge, will he find in us the fruit that he's looking for? Will we, he find in us the fruit of true faith that looks away from ourselves and our good works to Christ alone for our salvation? Will he find in us the fruit of true repentance and humility for our sin? Sorrow for our sin, a commitment to walk in obedience and holiness to him by his grace. Will he find in us the fruit of faithfulness, even if it costs us status and position and money? But this is why they were hostile to God. This is why they were hostile to Christ. They had a lot to lose. They had a lot to lose. And does this not explain something of the hostility toward Christ that we see in our modern culture today? There is... And we see it flare up, sometimes in dramatic ways, a hostility to Christ in the modern West. Sometimes it's very subtle, and sometimes it's very explicit. 
because Jesus represents a threat to where our culture is going and what our culture prizes. An extreme example is a piece of artwork that was hung up in the EU building in Brussels uh, this summer. There was a painting of Jesus there that I won't describe because it was blasphemous. But it put Jesus in the context of celebrating the darkest kinds of sexual perversion. And it was hanging there in the lobby of the EU Parliament building. So we see things like this. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's explicit, but it's symptomatic of a hostility toward Christ because Christ represents a threat, because what he stands for represents a threat to so much that our modern world prizes hedonism and the pride of this age. And the parable of Jesus teaches us that God is extraordinarily patient and merciful and kind over and over and over, offering through His Word a chance for people to receive. That God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He gives His Son. The Master sends His Son. They will respect My Son. But Jesus also teaches here, yes, God is patient, but there's an expiration date on the patience of God. There's a a window that's going to close someday. The owner of the vineyard comes, the the owner who has sent these servants, the owner who has sent his son, and they've murdered him. And he says, well, Jesus says to these religious leaders, what will they do to, what will he do to these tenants? And he says, they say to him, he will put those wretches to a wretched death or a miserable death. And the way the Greek there is structured, it's like a miserable death the miserable people are going to get a miserable death or the evil people are going to get an evil death. In other words, the the punishment is going to fit the crime. There's going to be parity here. They recognize that this is right. This is the only right thing to do after he's treated his son. They've treated his son that way. God is just. God is just. God will hold people accountable for how they respond to him. And on the day of God's justice, no one is going to be able to say he's not fair, like the kids say to their parents all the time. Not fair, not fair. No. That's not going to be said on the day of God's justice, the day of God's judgment. As Paul says in Romans 3, every mouth will be stopped on that day. There won't be people saying, it's not fair. No, they'll be able to look and see how God was fair, how God was patient, how God was kind. But a day is coming. And so Jesus makes this sobering pronouncement about divine judgment against the religious leaders. I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Very sobering words, right? And this prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70. The Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem, and with that destroyed their religious authority. This was not something that Jesus delighted in. When Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and he thought about it, he wept as he thought about the destruction that was to come. And so, especially on a day like today when we think about what's happening in Israel, 
we need to make a distinction here, don't we? Jesus is not talking about the Jewish people. This is not a critique against the Jewish people. This is a critique of what was happening in the religious system, in the hierarchy of the time. And, of course, Jesus was Jewish, and the apostles were Jewish. And we are grateful for what God has given the Jewish people, and we've been grafted into this heritage by mercy and grace. We're grateful for that. But now he says, the stone, quoting Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected, that is Jesus, is the stone that is rejected. The builders are these religious authorities, has become the cornerstone of God's new temple. And now Jew and Gentile can be brought together as the people of God. And so that's the lesson of this parable. I mean, it could be summarized this way. Use it or you will eventually lose it. Use it. Respond to what God has given you. Respond to the revelation. Use what God has given you in Christ and be fruitful for the kingdom. So we need to heed the warning of this parable as individuals and as a church that God holds us accountable for what He's given us in Jesus Christ. We're called to be faithful to the Word of God at a time when many are compromising this faith. And many people are turning the, the vineyard, the kingdom of God, into something that it wasn't intended, that God hasn't intended it to be. Changing the church and the mission of the church, twisting it, taking control of the vineyard for their own purposes, to conform to the spirit of the age, to conform to this world. James says, do you not know that to be a friend with the world is to be at enmity with God? And yet so many people twisting the kingdom, twisting the purpose of the church to fit the spirit of the age or the world, turning the church into an entertainment venue. We're not going to out-entertain Hollywood, I'll tell you that. Turning the church into a vehicle for politics, whether it's left or right. Turning the church into um, a vehicle that promotes what the world says now about sex, gender, and marriage. Twisting it. Taking the kingdom. And using it for other purposes. And so we need to remember this this parable and we need to remember what Christ says to his church in Revelation chapter 3. Through the Apostle John, he comes to the church at Ephesus with this prophetic word. He says, you are in danger of forgetting your first love. And if you do that, Jesus says, I will remove your lampstand. And the lampstand stands for the presence and light of Christ. And that means the church will be a dark and barren and empty spiritually place. It'll be dark just like the world if Christ removes his lampstand. God brings judgment on the church just as he did on Israel's corrupt religious leaders. God can do that. Christ can do that. And he is actually doing that in many places in the church. Bringing that kind of judgment where churches are empty spiritually of the presence and light of Christ. God, help us and preserve us that we don't go down that path. We need to be faithful to the word of Christ and bear fruit in our lives through his grace. Now, the good news is that Jesus said in John 15, 
If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. It's going to happen. As we stay connected to Christ and his word, we will bear fruit. And it's going to be fruit that will last. It will be meaningful for all of eternity. And that is the good news. As we stay connected to Christ and his word, we'll be fruitful. When Josie and I, earlier this year, we were on our anniversary uh, getaway to Herman, Missouri. Wine country. And so that was, this was what we did for our 25th anniversary. And we, we toured the different wineries and vineyards, and there was one, uh, one winery that's been there, I think, from the beginning, as these, these German immigrants came in the 1840s or so and began to settle there. And this was one of the first uh, wineries. And it took a lot for these German farmers to get the vineyard going in the first place. They, they took us to these cellars and they said, well, these, the original owners of this land, they dug this out by hand. They had buckets that they were just scooping the dirt up to dig these cellars out by hand. What patience, what perseverance, what endurance it took for them to just get the thing established and then once they got it going, it was very profitable. And they won awards here in the United States. They won, you know how they used to have the World's Fair back then. They won here in St. Louis an award for their wine at the 1904 World's Fair. They began to export their wine to other countries and it was profitable. And then came Prohibition. And that shut that down. And so they had to do, they had to make a transition. And what they started doing was selling mushrooms, growing mushrooms in these cellars, this damp, moist place, to keep the thing going. They could have stopped at that point. It was hard. They could have said, nope, it's, we're going to fold up like so many. But they kept going. And then that carried on for a while until the 1960s. And another couple bought that vineyard and said, we want to restore this and start producing wine again and grapes again. And there's pictures of this married couple with their young kids. Mom's got a baby on her hip and she's got, you know, she's working with the wine over here. It was a family enterprise and they had a bottle of wine by hand at the beginning of it. I'm sure people said, you guys, this isn't going to work. This is crazy. But they had this vision. They knew this could be fruitful. They knew it could be profitable. And now they are. They're one of the largest wineries and vineyards in the state award-winning, and even in the nation. That was just kind of when I was going through that, I thought, well, that's just a picture of the kingdom, isn't it? it? In some ways, we're in really hard times in the culture. There's a lot that's against us. But God's given us a vineyard. God's given us work to do. Let's not give up. If we stay connected to Christ and His Word, He will bear fruit. We will bear fruit for His glory. We will see spiritual fruit. We will pray, and we need to continue to pray for a harvest of people to come into the kingdom. We need to stay faithful in prayer, faithful in the word, faithful in worship. This is the vineyard God has given us. Let's be faithful to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you have given us this promise that if we abide in you and abide in your word, we will bear much fruit. At a time where the spiritual 
landscape looks so barren in, in ways. You are producing fruit. And we thank you for that. There are people who are hungry to know you. God, help us to stay close and connected to you so that we can be there to present the gospel. Help us to heed the warning of this parable to be responsible and responsive to your word and your revelation and faithful to proclaim your Son in our lives and in our words. I pray this for Christ's sake and his glory. And everyone said, Amen.